On Every Main Street is a weekly program that takes a deeper look into the greater Lehigh Valley small, medium, and large businesses that might be found on Every Main Street. Tonight, join me, Greg Caponia, as we invite WDIY listeners to learn more about the entrepreneurs with great ideas serving the communities in which we live. Welcome to On Every Main Street, the program where WDIY chats with members of the Greater Lehigh Valley Chamber of Commerce. Tonight, we begin our program with our friends from the National Museum of Industrial History. I'd like to welcome Andrea Zaya, the curator of collections, and John Mikovitz. John is a volunteer at the museum. Welcome, Andrea and John. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having us. How are you? Well, good. Uh, And we're here to talk about a very special event that you have coming up this October. It's called the Steel Weekend and Steel Workers Reunion. And it runs from October 15th, I believe, at 10 a.m. through October 16th at 5 p.m. And this is especially important to John because, John, I believe you were a steel worker. Uh, Yes, I actually worked on the railroad. I worked in the locomotive repair shop. I was an electrician. So I spent uh, 15 years in this plant, and uh, it's really great to be able to tell people how fantastic the workplace was. Andrea, why is this an important event for the museum to do? Well, this is an event where we celebrate all things steel. We look at the past, the present, and the future of the American steel industry, And it's really a special time for former steelworkers and their families, totally focused on them. It is free admission, so we welcome everyone to come down to the museum, learn more, and then be inspired about the future of the American steel industry. Even though the Bethlehem plant is closed, the industry still continues on, and there are a lot of really good opportunities for young people today. Andrea, approximately how many former steelworkers live in the Lehigh Valley? That's a great question, Greg, and I think it's hard to come at an accurate number, but we could say that almost everybody had some kind of a tie to the industry, be it a neighbor or a relative who worked in steel or or themselves. Yeah, good point. My father was actually uh, doing this type of work back in the 30s and his father, so uh, everybody seems to know somebody who's been doing uh, or had some association with steel, obviously, in this area. Now, this event is open to everyone, regardless of your involvement with the steel industry. Is that correct? That's right. We uh, we welcome the public to come down here, and we've got a lot of really exciting activities for everybody here that weekend. So let's talk about some of those activities. John, um, what do you think would surprise somebody's kid the most when they come to the museum? Uh, just the, the size of everything. Uh, a lot of people just don't realize on everything within this plant was so big. And uh, at the same time, it was dangerous. And when you stop and think that these guys came here every day uh, to support their families and everything, it surprises a lot of people. They they just do not have any idea at all on how dangerous everything was. And once again, the size of all the equipment and everything that was done here. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say that one of the things that we're going to be doing here is just giving a little bit of a window on one of the activities with an iron pour. So we will be melting and making iron here on the premises again, which is such a unique activity to to have here. So 
you know, here's an opportunity to see that molten iron being poured. And what will it be the times for something like that? So if I were coming from in from out of town and I wanted to make sure I didn't miss something, is there will this be ongoing or will it be uh, will it be specific times and a schedule to refer to? We've got a lot of ongoing activities throughout the day, casting and um, a lot of everything hands-on. The iron pour is going to be happening around the mid-afternoon on Saturday, and we can't give an exact time because it's really going to depend upon the furnace. So if you can stop over between 2 and 4 p.m. on Saturday, you should see something pretty spectacular. And what are some of the other pop-up exhibits that you're going to be having there? Well, we're going to be having um, some historical displays. We've got South Bethlehem Historical Society looking at the neighborhoods. We have Steelworkers Archives with photography display. Ed Leskin, a really well-known photographer in the area, is going to be setting up a portrait studio and taking portraits of steelworkers on site. He did that last year for Steel Weekend, so we're going to see some of his previous work as well. And what's really kind of a neat thing, the, um, we've got a big working mill model for the 59-inch mill modernization project. Some of the folks who worked on that are going to be here at the museum 11 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday talking about how they did this really um, world-class modernization of a Henry Gray mill. So, you know, sometimes people suggest that maybe modernization wasn't happening in the plant. Well, it certainly was, and this is one of those projects that we want to highlight. John, this is also a reunion of sorts for you, isn't it? Yes, 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 definitely. Uh, you see some former steel workers that you knew. Like for myself, I, like I said, working in the locomotive shop, well, we get together. There's there's about seven of us left over from the locomotive shop. We get together about every six weeks for breakfast. But there's a lot of other people that you knew in the plant and everything else, so it's nice to see them come around again. For other steel workers that come here, you know, it's amazing. You see guys that work together for many years, and maybe they haven't seen each other in 15 or 20 years. And you you, you were brothers in the plant while you were working, you know. You, you covered each other's back. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's really nice to see these guys that they see old friends. It's very, uh, very rewarding. John, will you have a chance to be talking with the folks who are visiting and know about the steel industry, but don't necessarily understand it. Will you be also available to speak with museum goers? Oh, yes, yes. I, I'm uh, a docent here at the museum, so uh, I'm usually here every Sunday, but this weekend I'll be here Saturday and Sunday. It's a pleasure to explain to people, because so many people come here and say, I had a grandfather that worked at the steel, or I had a father that worked. I have no idea what he did. And uh, trying to uh, fill in some of those gaps and by nature, when we're young, we do not ask questions uh, about family histories and everything. But as we get older, those gaps are there. It feels good to be able to fill in some of those gaps with some of those people. John, what are some of the questions that people ask you as a steel worker? What are some things that surprise people when they talk with you? Oh, the size of the plant so it's hard for them to realize that the plant was four and a half miles long. The amount of railroad tracks just within the plant to move the supplies around. One of the things that I, I get a big charge of, people don't believe that they had bus service within the plant. Because when you stop and think that 98% of the people that worked in this plant could not park in the plant. 
So when you stop and think of those cold winter days and you had a mile and a half to walk from the parking lot or across the bridge from the other side of the river to the plant, everybody knew what the bus schedules were. So they were happy they could catch a bus and ride that bus for 15 minutes to take them to work. You know, some of some well, that, the little oddities like that that people just don't realize that went on here. Yeah, I think it's uh, interesting. I, you just taught me something. I guess I never really thought about transportation, but that would be just simply getting to work. So in a sense, it made it more convenient for you to get to work and get around? Yes, yes. I was lucky. At the locomotive shop, we had parking, so I, I actually drove through the main gate and, and down 2nd Street every day to go to my job. So I was lucky. I was one of the very few that was able to park within the plant. How many years were you there? Fifteen. Wow. When you look at people who work today in factories, do you see any differences the way factory work is done now and the way that you used to do it? No, not really, because when I uh, when the plant shut down and I got laid off, I worked for 23 years for uh, a local private company, worldwide company, here in uh, the Lehigh Valley. And uh, we melted scrap iron to uh, make our product, and uh, the safety was always priority number one. And... Uh, Always the workers always covering everybody's back to make sure that nobody got hurt. It was always safety first. Andrea, you'll be showing a documentary, won't you? Yes, we are. We are going to be showing a documentary called Mill Stories, and it's focusing on the Sparrows Point plant. So each year for Steel Weekend, because this is something we do annually, we highlight a particular plant or a particular division. So this year we're looking at Bethlehem Shipbuilding, and we're going to hear from the former president of Bethlehem Shipbuilding on Saturday. And then on Sunday at 2 p.m., we'll be watching a documentary about the closing of the Sparrows Point plant. We have a lot of people still in the community here who have ties to Sparrows Point, who used to work at Sparrows Point. Some people went to work at Sparrows Point after the Bethlehem plant closed. So it'll be an interesting opportunity for us to, to reflect upon that. And it's only been 10 years since that plant closed. So a lot of what some of the steelworkers were going on, were going through here uh, last decade, those former steelworkers are going through today. Andrea, we have a lot of people who listen to us streaming from outside of our community who I think would be very interested in visiting the museum. Can you tell us a little bit about the museum, the fact that it's affiliated with the Smithsonian? Uh, give them a little bitch about yeah. the museum. It's fantastic. Thank you. So we are really thrilled to um, tell you more about the museum. We opened in 2016. We are the first Smithsonian affiliate and inside the museum, uh, visitors will see Centennial Hall. We feature two dozen Smithsonian artifacts on display here. We also have an iron and steel gallery, and then we interpret silk. So a lot of people think of the Lehigh Valley as heavy industry, iron, steel, but this was also a primary silk manufacturer for the world, usually in the top one, two, or three. We also have Foundry Park where visitors can do a locomotive experience. If you've ever wanted to drive a train, now you have an opportunity. And sometimes John is there to sort of um, talk to some of our visitors about his experience repairing locomotives on this site. It's a great museum. We're open Wednesday through Sunday, 10 to 5. 
There's a different tier of admission prices, but about $15 for adults. Once again, we're talking about an event that's coming up in October, the Steel Weekend and Steel Workers Reunion. And when's that run again? We are uh, running October 15th and 16th, 10 to 5 each day. And I, I want to mention that an event of this size, it wouldn't be possible without the participation of our valued partners. So not only is this happening here at the museum, but it's happening on the larger campus as well. So we have uh, Banana Factory, PBS, the Bethlehem Area School District, the Bethlehem Library, Steelworkers Archives, uh, South Bethlehem Historical Society. We're all been working together and St. John's Windish Church to bring this celebration and honoring our steelworker community and their families. Yeah, and I think the church is bringing some food, aren't they? They're bringing goulash and halushki, and they are free. It's free taste testing while quantities last, so get down here early. <laughs> it's a beautiful time to come to the Lehigh Valley, and this is an event that you should not miss. And for all of our listeners who are uh, maybe 100 or 150 miles away, this is a very easy way to come and enjoy the fall and learn a lot about your community. Andrea, if somebody wants to learn more about the event, your website, please. Yes, it's nmih.org, and we have more information on our Facebook page as well. All right. We've been talking with Andrea Zaya and John Mikovitz of the National Museum of Industrial History. John and Andrea, thank you very much for being on Every Main Street. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having us. We'll be back right after this moment. WDIY 88.1 offers many choices and real voices. Folk music, from folk classics to the Gaelic traditions of the British Isles, to bluegrass and old-time music of Appalachia, to the modern-day singer-songwriters telling the story of today's world. You'll find it all here on WDIY. Listen and enjoy the wide variety of folk music every weekday evening, 7 to 9 p.m., just after NPR News Headlines, and Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. on 88.1 WDIY and streaming at WDIY.org. Welcome back to On Every Main Street. On this segment, we welcome Wade George, a public adjuster working with Authentic Adjustment Group. Welcome, Wade. Thank you. Happy to be here. Wade, first, tell us a little bit about Authentic Adjustment and how you started this company. All right. So um, I started off in insurance claims almost 20 years ago. Originally, I worked on the side of the insurance carriers. So I was a restoration guy. I did independent adjusting work and appraisal work. Um, after about a decade working on behalf of the insurance companies, I decided to use my skills to benefit the policyholder. So I started off working for another business, and then I decided to go into business for myself, opened up my office in Emmaus, and I've been working, advocating on behalf of homeowners and commercial business owners since 2015. Where is your office in Emmaus? I'm right at 191 Main Street, which is at the corner of 2nd and Main. I'm in a uh, building that shares office space with several other locally owned and operated businesses. Well, that's a nice location to be. Absolutely. I love Emmaus. <laughs> Let's say I have storm damage with my house. Do I call an insurance adjuster first? Do I call you? What do I do? 
I strongly recommend that you call a qualified and licensed public insurance adjuster. Um, I actually talk about this frequently on my YouTube page and also on my Facebook page. The reason why I think it's important to call a public adjuster is because a public adjuster can evaluate whether or not your damages are even covered under your policy because you don't want to get into a position where you're needlessly filing claims that aren't covered. And likewise, if your damages are covered, then you want someone to be able to negotiate that claim on your behalf to get you the best outcome possible. The key is understanding the nuances of building construction, code, things of that nature, on top of also understanding the fine details of your insurance policy. It's a lot to handle. It's very time-consuming for people. So I think it's smart to have us come out right away, so that way we can steer you in the right direction. I think that's probably something that most people don't realize, that when bad things happen or you know, unfortunate things happen, many times the first thing they do is call the insurance company. And what you're saying is perhaps they might want to think about calling a person like you in your business. Is that right? Yes, I absolutely agree. Oftentimes, people buy their insurance policies from what's known as a captive insurance agent. This is an insurance agent that works specifically for one insurance company. A lot of times those folks are incentivized to have what they call a low loss ratio. So they will just, through human nature, try to dissuade you from filing claims for damages that are covered. I often recommend to people that they work with a local independent agent, someone that can sell them multiple carriers, different lines, somebody who's more geared towards them specifically as a customer. So yeah, I think it's important to call a public adjuster first for the reason that I stated before, which is that public adjuster is going to know what's covered and what's not and kind of prevent you from filing claims that you shouldn't file. And at the same time, confirming for you the merits of a legitimate covered law. So is there a process for somebody like you to be a, is there a certification or a class that you have to go through to become this offer this type of service? Yes. So you have to be licensed in Pennsylvania with the Pennsylvania Department of Insurance in New Jersey. It's the New Jersey Ombudsman's Office. I actually carry licenses in four different states. Some of my colleagues and, and friends of mine in the industry, they have licenses all throughout the country. But yes, you have to take a test. The test is pretty rigorous. You have to pass the test, obviously, and then you have to renew your license every two years in each of the states that you carry your license, and that involves continuing ed. Um, You have to carry a bond, and then you also have to have a fairly substantial amount of liability insurance because of the potential for malpractice and other things. I would suggest to you that in the majority of states, the public adjuster licensing and certifications and requirements far exceed the rigors of the staff adjusters and the folks that actually work at the insurance company. Interesting. Why is that? I don't really know for sure why that is. Some states do have licensing for independent adjusters, which are folks that work as subcontractors for the insurance companies, but that's not every state. And certainly in Pennsylvania, it's not required. But in order to be a public adjuster, uh, you absolutely have to jump through a uh, rigorous series of hoops. I think one of the reasons why is because as a public adjuster, we have a custodial duty for people's finances, meaning that um, when checks come into our office, uh, oftentimes we're listed as additional payees on those checks. And I think it has to do with uh, protecting customers from potential mismanagement of funds. So how does a qualified public adjuster like yourself get paid? 
So we work on a contingency basis. So that means that we work for a percentage of claim proceeds. So if I'm working a claim from the beginning, then my fee would attach to whatever checks are actually issued on that claim. Now, if I sign someone later in the process, so let's say they reported their claim, they were unhappy with the outcome, and then they retained my services later, uh, we do that on what we call an over and above basis, which basically means that we shelter their initial claim proceeds from our fee. Uh, the key is that our contingency fee only attaches to our work product. We're talking with Wade George of Authentic Adjustment. Wade is a public adjuster. Once again, he's the type of person who can advise you on, well, I guess whether or not you have a claim even. Um, so, do, Wade, do people know if they even have a claim? So... Pretty much what you're looking for is a sudden occurrence or, or what's known as a triggering event. So 30 seconds ago, everything was fine with your house, and 30 seconds later, it's not. The thing that you're going to be looking for is damage to your property. And damage essentially means anything that affects its function or its physical appearance. So um, if you have shingles that blew off of your house, um, that's clearly damaged. If you have water leakage that's caused drywall to fall in your house, that's obviously damaged. So anything that affects either the, the function of the house, the safety of the house, or the appearance of the house would qualify as damage. Now, whether or not that's covered under your policy depends on who your insurance company is and what type of policy you have in place, which, again, is why you should seek expert advice before actually reporting your claim. So should somebody talk with a person like you when they're actually buying their insurance? How do you know if you're getting the right policy, or can you give us a little advice on that? So, yes, I have a network of good independent agents that I refer to clients. I refer to friends and family as well. And I frequently tell former clients, current clients, and then also friends, business contacts, to have me look over their insurance declaration page before they renew their policy or if they're getting a new policy, if they're just buying a house, I, that's something that I frequently do. And then I'll kind of give some advice, like ask about this, see what your agent can do about that. Ultimately, your agent is going to be the person that's going to put together that policy for you and put you in place with that product. But I can only do as good of a job as the policy that's in place. So if you have a insurance policy that's not designed properly for your needs, it can really hold me back from being able to do the best job possible. So, yes, I, I often assist people in, in working with their agent to get the right policy put in place. What I'm hearing is you really need to understand what your policy is because oftentimes people will shop price, and that's maybe not always the best course, is it? I strongly believe that there are good insurance companies out there. So part of it is knowing what insurance company is the right fit for you. And then definitely you want to look at the type of policy language, the type of endorsements or what is known in layman's terms as riders, um, things of that nature. It's important to have a clear understanding of your policy. So yes, you should have a good agent who can explain these things to you. But yeah, price really shouldn't be what you're looking at when you're shopping your policy. It should definitely be about what coverages are there because you may save yourself $60 a year by switching to another carrier, 
but uh, heaven forbid your house burns down, you're really going to want the good policy. And that extra $60 a year is not going to matter to you when you're talking about six figures in damage. Yeah, I've always thought house insurance is actually a pretty good deal when you consider what you're protecting for the price that you're paying. Yeah, absolutely. Your home, for the majority of us, is the single greatest investment that you'll make in your life. It's the single largest possession of value that you have. It's kind of the gift that keeps on giving, so to speak, in that it protects you. It protects those that you care about. You can borrow against it with a HELOC loan later on in life. Um, There's all sorts of things that that house does for you and does for everybody that you care about. So, yeah, for a relatively nominal cost that you kind of don't even notice in your escrow when you're paying your mortgage, yeah, you you get a product that, that has incredible value. And, yeah, it's something that people should very much take seriously. Wade, why should somebody call Authentic Adjustment? What what makes you stand out? So for me, I guide myself by doing the right thing. So I give a lot of free advice. I'm not a high-pressure sales guy. For me, it's about getting people the best outcome possible. So I'm kind of a blessed guy living a charmed life in that I get to ride around in my car. I get to go around to uh, Chamber of Commerce mixers and and uh, spend time just handshaking people, talking to them, and somehow this pays my bills. Um, so I just, for me, I encourage people to reach out to me because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to get good advice from somebody that's been in the industry a long time. And that's important. Are there a lot of adjusters out there? So that's an interesting question in that the Delaware Valley area, when you go down into the Philadelphia market, or if you go to the New York City market, uh, North Jersey, um, and you go up into Scranton, there's market saturation. There's a lot of folks that do what I do. The Lehigh Valley is the third largest market in the state of Pennsylvania, yet I have very limited competition in this area. I see a marketplace where there's a great need as development continues, as folks move here from out of state. I see the need for my services growing exponentially, and I've noticed this just in the volume of phone calls and interaction that I've had with people. And at the same time, my industry does a very poor job of educating the general public. I would say to you that the majority of people that I run into on a day-to-day basis have no idea or understanding of what it is that I do. So I have to educate people on a person-to-person basis. But yeah, the Lehigh Valley is kind of an open area right now. And uh, I'm here to, to just try to educate as many people as I possibly can. Wade, if a person is interested in using your services, How do they learn more about you? Do you have a Facebook page or a website? How do we get in touch with you? Yes, I strongly urge people to to take a look at my Facebook page. Um, That's at Authentic Adjustment. I also have a YouTube channel where I try to put out educational content on YouTube. The reason being because I'm, I'm trying to arm people with good information. So, yes, I, I would greatly ask that people reach out to, to my Facebook and, and to my YouTube page. And then if there's any questions or if there's anything that they want to learn more about, please uh, offer those questions and suggestions to me because I'm always looking for uh, good, nuanced content that, that helps people learn. And your phone number and location, once again, please. So my phone number is 267-429-5362. 
My email address is authenticadjustment at yahoo.com, and my location is 191 Main Street, Suite 306, and that's in beautiful downtown Emmaus, Pennsylvania, 18049. There you have it. Wade George, a public adjuster working with Authentic Adjustment Group here in the Lehigh Valley in Emmaus. Wade, thank you very much for being on every Main Street. Thanks a lot for having me. And to you, our listeners, thank you for listening to On Every Main Street. I'm your host, Greg Caponia, and you are listening to WDIY 88.1. Have a great evening. Up next on WDIY 88.1 FM, news headlines from NPR, followed by our Monday night folk program, Folk Classics. Folk Classics.